0: Primary Care Knowledge Boost, dietitians in primary care.
1: Hello and welcome to Primary Care Knowledge Boost. Today we're joined by dietitian Charlotte who talks to us about her role as a dietitian in primary care. Uh, Yes,
0: having a dietitian directly in the primary care team is quite new and it was really interesting to hear about her role and how it was and is developing.
1: Yeah, this is a great episode for people who might not fully know what dietitians do and what their role might be in the primary care team. Um, and she also gives us some really great practical tips for clinicians as well. Yeah, we'll be back at the end
0: to share our learning points, but we hope you find it as useful as we did.
1: Okay, so Charlotte, can you introduce yourself for us and explain a little bit about your background?
2: Yeah, so I'm Charlotte. I'm a dietitian, been practicing for about nine years. And... Um, I specialise straight away. away. So my specialities are obesity and weight management, um, but also health inequalities. So I've worked in kind of loads of different NHS services across the UK, but always in areas of deprivation. Mm. In the last few years, I've spent in the charity sector, but now I'm uh, working as a PCN dietitian in South Manchester, and also doing a bit of kind of lecturing and teaching on nutrition and inequalities as
1: well. Amazing. Wow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Very exciting. This is lovely to talk to you. Um, where in South Manchester are you based? Uh, within Shore. Okay, lovely. Um, so to start with, um, just thinking about the, the complete basics of the job, uh, can you explain to us what a dietitian is? Yes,
2: okay. <laughs> um, so... We kind of fall under the Allied Health Professionals banner, and we're regulated by the HCPC. I guess dieticians are all about food and nutrition, but kind of the technical definition we try to say is that we convert all the bump, so the, the scientific information, the journals, the evidence, the media, everything that's out there, into something that people can actually use, so into kind of practical dietary advice and care, and that can be anything there's such a huge range of practice so obviously I'm weight management and a bit of diabetes there's renal care there's enteral nutrition which is chew feeding kind of on straight wards and there's so much but effectively anywhere that there's nutrition nourishment and food involved a dietitian will be there
0: trying to make sense of it all I guess that's a really nice overview I like it Um, and um can you talk us through how um how why and how you decided to become a dietitian um, and then the process of training
2: yeah so i i guess it's quite strange i always knew i wanted to be a dietitian from like 14 15 knew that was what i was going to go into mainly because i really love food so this this huge misconception that dietitians are the food police and we don't like food but if anything, it's the opposite. I don't know a single dietitian that's not passionate about food. So I looked into being a chef, owning a bakery, making wedding cakes. And I did all those things. I like did them in my summers, decided definitely not for me. But food food and talking about food was right. So then I was looking at other kind of careers around food, food manufacturing, food science. But the bit about dietetics is the chatting side of things that I liked. Mm. So... Yeah, I so I decided really early on, I know I, I knew I needed science for A levels to get in, um at least biology. So that's it. I decided age 16, right? These are the this is the science I'm committed to in the route. And then training, I went to Chester. So it was a four-year undergraduate degree, which is pretty standard for the undergraduates um programs. And it's four years because the last year is mainly placement. So you again kind of cycle through all those different kind of specialities. So you do bits in care homes, you do bits on all the different wards, you do some community um, and that's all pretty much in your final year. You do do a short placement kind of first or second year, which I guess gives you that like taster into making sure it's definitely the profession that you want to go into. But yeah, undergrad is typically four years, but there is a kind of compact three-year course that they do in Plymouth where they jam it all in. I don't think you get as many breaks, but it means you get through it a bit quicker And then there are post-grad options, which are two years. Again, I guess the key bit and the key bit that makes us dietitians is all of that clinical placement that we do and getting that kind of breadth of experience and working in MDTs. And so, yeah, post-grad courses are about two years. And then they've just started, I think starting this year, a new dietetic apprenticeship course in Coventry. So there's now like a huge number of different ways that you can become a dietitian, which is really exciting because I felt it was quite strict when I was applying I felt that there were about eight universities and that was it but now there's lots of avenues but yeah and we do everything we're with a lot of the biochemists you do the physiology and the pharmacology and bits of you're with a bit of med students a bit of bioscientists a bit of nutritionists so you kind of cross over I think a lot of people think dietitians just learn about food like here's an apple and this is the makeup of it but there's a huge load of science base to it which allows us to then have that varied practice as we go into it but then each year you become more and more specialized and pick up that clinical skill and we do the off skis which are like the practicals and making sure you can actually talk to other
0: humans before you go and get released on the world so yeah that's that's the training. Yeah that's really interesting and do you do um do would you do your primary care placement in that final year normally?
2: So I didn't when I was there but I just think it wasn't on offer you never had obviously all of our placements are typically under other dietitians and there just weren't dietitians in primary care you have community placements so I had a hundred one of my placements was a hundred percent community so then you're kind of within practices and doing clinics but I know now the placements are much more varied so you can get corporate or charity sector as well so I imagine now they will start offering placements in primary care providing you've got a dietitian that's willing to do the training
0: and get trained up as a as a clinical supervisor yeah, it does make sense. And so whenever you were telling us about your background, it sounds like you've done a lot of different stuff, but have now ended up in a PCN. So what, what yeah. made you make that decision to, to come into primary care?
2: Um, so my roles have always been community-based. So I've always been working with or within GP practices, kind of aligned with them. But the reason that I managed to get into these roles is actually in my previous role in the charity sector, I was helping PCNs utilise other ours roles so things like social prescribing and care coordinators effectively in areas of deprivation and then when the dietetic kind of funding streams came through it filled me with equal joy and dread (laughs) joy because there's so much potential that a dietitian can have in primary care but so much dread because no one knows what a dietitian does or at least doesn't know the potential that a dietitian can do so I was like right I'm gonna jump in before anyone starts recruiting um all over the place and so I started working with PCNs to chat to them about what dietitians can do and then start writing job descriptions because you can make it really bespoke and each population is so unique I was like this is brilliant
1: like what do you want what's going on in your locality brilliant and it's incredible it always it strikes me with with things that are transitioning and they're new and they've got all this potential um it's brilliant that you can sort of think of it as you will and adapt it and it, it seems to attract really uh, people who are really dynamic and uh, it's lovely to see that and sort of showcase that skill it's amazing yeah definitely the roles
2: you've got to have someone that wants to dive in um, and yeah. it is taking a risk I'm not gonna lie it's something new And, you know, you're either going to fall on your feet and power through or if you're a little bit fearful, it's probably not going to work because you've got a lot of people, clinicians and patients to wrangle (laughs) to make it work. So you've got to be fairly kind of pragmatic and willing, willing to take a few risks, I guess, along Mm. the way.
1: Yeah, a lot of variables in there. Um, (laughs) So when you um, the role for you, then obviously it's not um, it's going to be quite unique to the population that you're dealing with. But what what does it look like generally for so for dietitians in primary care? What what's the idea of their role?
2: So there's a huge number of conditions where dietitians' input is going to make a huge difference. Whether that's weight management or IBS or celiac or frailty for the elderly and fortification so a huge element is that treating and managing conditions but it's also that bit of a diagnostic role so the patient that comes in with a stomach issue that you've kind of ruled out the red flags but just ongoing niggles um, a dietitian can step in to help diagnose that and to do some treatment plans And then I guess the other bit that dietitians are really good at, and we do a lot of training on is that conversation side, we've got the capacity and knowledge to talk about behavior change and emotions with food and barriers to food. So it's looking at the social side and the psychosocial. So we might know that the best option is to go and eat this food or to try this, but we're also going to go, is that realistic? Like, can you afford it? Where can you access this? Where's the nearest place to? And again, that's where that pragmatic element of the, it's, I guess, really solution focused of going, we've got this dream where we want a patient to be, but we help them wiggle their way to get there rather than just knowing that they'll tomorrow they'll wake up and suddenly
1: be able to do it. Yeah. And so um, specifically for you, can you talk us through what your job, what the day job looks like?
2: Um, So the first thing I do is a lot of training. Um, Mm. One of the best ways that I feel, not just dietitians, but all of these roles in primary care can be effective is that everyone knows a little bit of everything and has that consistency of approach, I guess. So I've worked with all my, so I work across seven GP practices um, and I've trained all individual GP practices. Everyone from the receptionists to the other R's roles to the partners, nurses, and everyone in between. Not only just to give them the up-to-date evidence, because it's a minefield. (laughs) Like even even me, Mm -hmm. I have to stay on top of it and work out, is this this legit? Does it look legit? Um, But also recognising that a GP might have a 10-minute appointment of which 40 seconds is allocated to, can you change your diet? (laughs) Um, (laughs) So um, I don't necessarily want doctors to be experts in nutrition and suddenly try and they're never going to realistically be able to or want to or have the capacity to deep dive into the trauma associated with kind of food habits so i do a lot of training about here's the evidence but also here's what to do and what not to do in either 40 seconds two minutes five minutes eight minutes however long you've got and it's gone down really well because actually that helps me because then you don't get a patient that's gone well my GP told me this and my nurse told me this and Barbara down the road told me this and OK magazine told me this (laughs) you at least get across your practice that kind of nudge approach that when I put it in notes the doctor or the nurse goes oh that dietitian. she said that you were going to add a glass of milk here how's that going and that just really helps across the practice but they also know where I'm coming from that I'm not just this bonkers person that's been like here's this, try and do this. They go, oh no, that's because she talked about this and why it's beneficial. And it's because milk's got like high satiety and it's really good for us. So I do a lot of training and then top-up training. So sometimes it's 10 minutes, sometimes it's an hour and a half, bit of that. And then I guess my main day-to-day bit is then patient-facing. So I'm primarily weight management and obesity and I have clinics all across the locality. So not just in the GP practices, but in some kind of community centres and locations as well. And then I'll see adults and children, but those who are too complex or who have been excluded from other services. So there's no point in having me if I'm just going to duplicate the local service offers, the tier three or the social prescribing offers. But there's a huge number, particularly in deprivation, that will fall through the gaps where it's either inappropriate or they're just too complex, whether that's mental health or kind of binge eating and eating disorders or just you know that they're never going to access a digital service or go anywhere that's not their gp and so i kind of that's my cohort i i mop them up and i'll see them one to one in clinic i'll see whole families together i run group sessions as well and again trying to take an approach of getting wrangling some other clinicians so working doing a group session with the diabetes nurse or doing a group session with the mental health practitioner so that we can kind of tag team a little bit rather than scattergunning those referrals across the service. And then I guess the final bit of my job is making sure that I'm linked up to all the other services. So it's about that facilitation of... I know sometimes the best thing that I can do to help my patient improve their nutrition is making sure their finances are sorted. So who's the best person that they've got to go to to sort out their debt or kind of sort out their universal credit so that they can afford to go shopping or put their heating on. Um, And that can be a bit of a minefield as well, but that's something that I think is my responsibility to know the food banks, what's going on in the faith sector, in the charity sector, in the health sector, and make sure that not only I know that, but again, all my practices... No so that again everyone knows what the offer is and it's a bit more equal
0: opportunity. It no, it's a, it's a real a real mix.
1: <laughs> invaluable, absolutely invaluable. Yeah.
0: That is such great work Charlotte. I'm so impressed honestly. <laughs> And uh, we we kind of um, always put in a little bit in these other roles of primary care episodes um, because it's quite a good platform to reach a lot of different people in primary care. So we always like to ask if there's anything um, that you have that's a bugbear or a learning point that you want to get across um, to the clinicians or to the whole primary care team um, so that we give you the chance to be able to do that and tell them um, so that maybe some practices change out there.
2: Mm. I like it. (laughs) I guess... I guess one of the first thing is that dietitians are more than just the eat well plate and refeeding syndrome. I feel like I have to do a lot of um, debusting a myth of what a dietitian does or has capacity to do. So there's so much nuance around giving nutrition advice. And just like any, any health professional, any profession, there's a huge diversity of practice and approach so just because you might have had an experience or an assumption of what a dietitian can do actually it's huge and so varied so I said I guess the first message is give us benefit of the doubt (laughs) that we can work to suit suit you and you can find the clinician that works for you in your practice um from I guess a nutrition advice point of view um is stop stop saying what worked for you or what's stop saying what looks good now. So I get a lot of practitioners who say, I read this journal article, Mm. and it's fantastic. Um, So go and follow that. But the evidence around nutrition, and particularly at the moment around weight management and diabetes is evolving so quickly. But it doesn't matter if it's the most amazing, unbiased, randomized controlled trial, you need to be able to put it in the context of the Population or the individual you're giving that advice to. So it's almost breathe, don't get overexcited that you've read a really exciting <laughs> journal or bit of evidence. Um, ask your dietitian, ask to be trained, ask to be educated, so we can get a bit more, not just that consistent evidence base, but actually pragmatic, practical advice. Because yeah, there's some things I'd love our whole population to be following, but I know we're so far away from that, there's there's little bits that you can put in first. Um and then my biggest bug bear is that you won't believe the number of times it happens I go into training and people go, oh, the dietitian's in hide the chocolate, hide the biscuits. (laughs) No, not sure if that's the bugbear you mean, but I like chocolates stop hiding them from me. Most dietitians do, but that is really like every practice has done it to me. Oh, she won't, she won't want the biscuits. I like my caffeine and I like my sugar. So stop depriving the
1: dietitians of it. It's not about a disciplinarian approach. Yeah, exactly. A little bit, a
2: little bit of everything. That's the rule.
1: Oh, I love it. That's amazing. I really like your point about individualizing care and not just taking this like over overly like really broad brush to kind yeah. of just say well this worked for uh, such a good point so yeah. it's going to be invaluable for somebody who's got the time to go into everything all the factors yeah. affecting someone and yeah. um, you mentioned now feel free to say no to this but you <laughs> did mention about if you've got 40 seconds <laughs> Oh no, that's to <laughs> I'm just I'm just like oh that sounds like I could really <laughs> use that is this a, is <laughs> this feel free to say no to it I'm more than happy for you too but
2: no no um so I guess the the thing that I advise clinicians to do if you've got a short time mm-hmm. is stop telling people what to take away mm-hmm. because most people know it. Most people know that the fizzy drinks, the energy drinks, the chocolate isn't good for them. And that requires a bit more behavior change. What you can do is focus on nourishment. So what are they missing? And therefore, what can they add to their diet? So how colorful is their diet? Because we know more color is going to come from fruit and veg. So can you add more color? Can you add nourishment like a glass of milk or a yogurt? We know there's a huge um, issue with young women at the moment, not having enough kind of dairy and calcium and, and those kind of nutrients. So can we add water? So the advice that you can give in, in 40 seconds is what can you add? Because someone else is going to do the what can you take away and where can we tweak and make the compromises, but no one's really ever going to say no to adding something
1: yeah.
2: to, their, to their diet. Um, so that's, I guess, what you can do in 40 seconds. If you've got a bit longer, um, then again, one of the other things I say is if your patient leaves knowing there's no bad food, they've won this association that there's there are sins or or you've been really naughty or it's a bit cheeky that you've had that but if your patient leaves going it's okay that I eat these foods means that they're more likely to change because we're starting to break that kind of guilt stigma cycle where they then go oh well I've had one thing what's the point I've screwed it up never again I'll start on Monday or I'll start next month or I'll start in the new year so um It's having positive conversations about food rather than that you're doing it all wrong and can you cut it out and do a big U turn? So, positive conversations around food and adding it. And everyone needs nourishing, whether kind of weight loss is your target or it's weight gain or weight maintenance. Nourishment is key, and that's got to come from us feeling good about food again, that all foods have got a little place.
1: So, I love it yeah, that's <laughs> so powerful even just for me <laughs> that's really, you I know, know what I was thinking about it's for like, myself oh, as well yeah. I mean we just you know everyone's got their own thing haven't they um so quick fire questions after that fabulous chat okay. um well we say quick fire but feel free to answer them as you like <laughs> um can dietitians prescribe in primary care um short
2: answer is some can so some dietitians can have supplementary prescribing rights we don't have independent prescribing rights at the moment Um, but some dietitians can go on to get that extra supplementary prescribing so that can be titrating insulin or prescribing gluten-free products or special formulas for um babies with feeding needs so some can supplementary
0: great And how much clinical supervision do dieticians need in the primary care setting and who can do it?
2: um, (laughs) It's one of those that it's it's really varied. I think kind of the minimum recommendation is that once every two months, but um, it really does vary depending on needs. The benefit of being in primary care is that they should be embedded in the team. So anyone can do that. Um, For example, my kind of supervision, my formal supervision is with a GP. But I do a lot of informal supervision with a practice nurse where you just walk into their their room and go help or like <laughs> you need that debrief or you go, have I made the right decision around this medication? Um, but yeah, there's lots more informal supervision that goes across as well. But yeah, anyone
1: can do it. But it helps to have other dietitian
2: contacts and connections.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and what about um, dietitians supervising other roles? I know it's a very new role for primary care, but um, is there scope for dietitians to supervise other uh, primary care clinicians? Yeah, definitely. So the roles that are in
2: primary care now, most dietitians are band seven, or at the, and either at band seven dietitians or the band seven first contact practitioners, which means you're getting experienced dietitians. So they should be contributing to kind of the education and supervision of that wider MDD team. Um, dietitians can be advanced clinical practitioners as well. So if they've got that extra experience, then they're going to have wider scope.
0: Um, so yes, definitely is the answer. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, I think you did mention about registration, but can you just confirm about um, the registration requirements for dietitians and whether or not any kind of appraisals or revalidation or anything is required?
2: Mm-hmm. So dietitians have to be registered with the Healthcare Professions Council. We have to keep a portfolio and we have to reapply every two years. So every two years, we have to go through the process of reapplying and a certain percentage um, will get audited with their portfolio. So it's quite short to have to prove every two years that you've kept it. And you can't just kind of cram and say in these last three months what I've done. You have to show that you've done that continued professional development over the last two
1: years no cramming (laughs) how how would i get past it doesn't mean it's not done but it's not best practice (laughs) um so uh, just thinking about actually before i ask you about take home points um you you mentioned sort of, because it is a new role, you're based down in, in South Manchester. Mm-hmm. Do you know about the plan in terms of the rest of Greater Manchester? Is there many dietitians joining? Um,
2: so there is lots of potential for dietitians mm-hmm. to be hired. Um, again, I just think there's more roles than there are dietitians. And because they're band seven, it means they've got to be specialists with a lot of experience. And then also because not a huge well a certain percentage of dietitians will go into community uh there's a small pot to draw from um, and I think they were new roles so I think they were quite scary to go into for a lot of dietitians but yeah that's why something like this is great the more conversations there are about what the roles are about and how it can work and I think there'll be more I I know a few that are starting in the next couple of months um, in kind of central Manchester and other areas of greater Manchester so hopefully it will
1: continue to grow yeah lovely so what would you like the listeners to take away from this chat (laughs) um I
2: guess the potential of dietitians that's the main one um there is so much variety that a dietitian can do so whether that's conditions health needs unique to the population and um, wherever you are so for me I'd say it's okay to wait to find the right clinician um that, that can suit and fit in with your team with your PCN, to know what you want um and then once they're in make sure they're embedded ask for advice challenge discuss debate dietitians love a chat they love to share their information so pick brains and but even if it's not you're not sure whether you want to hire a dietitian go and find a dietitian to talk to go and go and learn about all the other opportunities um because I definitely had chats with PCNs that went what's what's the point why would we hire a dietitian that's different from the tier three service or the community offer or the other available services Mm -hmm. and they're good questions to ask um but don't answer them yourself. Go, go and ask a dietitian about why, why it's worth having them. Um, and yeah, I guess the other take home message is about be a bit more critical with any nutrition evidence that comes across and go, that might sound great. But if I had a patient in front of me, or even if you had yourself in front of you, would you follow that advice? Would it work for you? Would it work for them? So just be a bit more critical rather than getting over excited that it's a shiny new
0: journal article <laughs>
1: <laughs> no that's really brilliant yeah thank you so nice. much
0: it's been fantastic to chat to you charlotte um i know a lot more about dietitians now than i did before we started so i know this is going to be invaluable brilliant
1: yeah thank you well thank you so lisa um now that we've finished talking to the amazing charlotte and um, just going to ask you what your learning points are from our discussion Oh, so many. Um, So what have I written
0: down that um, they, oh, I liked um, her little succinct summary of what a dietitian does about how they convert research into like actual practical dietary advice and care. Um, Mm. I thought that was like just a nice little summary. And then she went on to develop that greatly and give us actual insight into what that meant. But um, if you just needed a one-liner, that was really good. (laughs) (laughs)
1: i love the myth myth busting that was well worthwhile that that went along with that really in terms of the fact that she loves food that she's not a disciplinarian that it's not about you know it's actually a lot of that is about the reversal of guilt shame and all of those types of things that go along with it um it's just so useful um really helpful advice
0: um and um the other bit that I, i really found interesting was um hearing just kind of about the the different um avenues that they can um, kind of that they do that dietitians can do so mm-hmm. the fact that we might all be aware of them treating and managing conditions just as a kind of basic overview but mm-hmm. the fact that they can be a bit diagnostic for some things I wasn't quite aware of and then I hadn't considered all that stuff about emotion and behavioral change and um, like trauma associated with food and all of that I don't think that was really on my radar so that was interesting mm-hmm. to know that they did that as well
1: yeah, fabulous. I mean, it's so individualised in terms of tailoring the what the person needs in front of them. So, and it's incredible that the range of what she's doing at the moment is about training, about, you know, that, that kind of connection. We're all singing from the same hymn sheets. Just so important. And the whole thing of, of doing mixed... Um, at joint clinics with people oh how amazing gosh, is that yeah
0: i loved the flexible approach that yeah. she was talking about the fact that she'll not just do it in gp clinics that she'll go out to community venues where people might yeah. be more comfortable in the group sessions with the other clinicians and yeah. um, it's just especially in those areas of deprivation the way that she's managing to tailor it to that Um, way of working is so incredibly valuable um, for that population group they're really lucky to have her I think and the fact as well that she mentioned that she'll find out about financing because she understands that there are other things that factor into people's health choices um, and it's just so interesting.
1: Yeah, it's amazing. And then she, we were talking sort of off mic about some of the individual things about getting people's HBA1Cs down in a way that's suiting them, and just like that real world benefit of of seeing those differences.
0: Exactly. And the pragmatic approach that they take it isn't. It was nice to hear. I guess that the dietitian isn't just a hard line. You need to lose this much weight by doing this thing. It is very much, yeah. uh, well, what's your life look like, and how can we do this? And maybe it's a little bit of a stepwise approach. And where can we get to? And it, yeah, just very individualized. I really like it. Yeah
1: i'm glad i i pushed her on some of the uh, learning points as well about what can we do in 40 seconds um, 40 seconds or if we've got a bit longer Um, really interesting i hadn't really ever heard of it from that side of you like what can we add yeah um, but so
0: good it actually makes complete sense
1: yeah <laughs> lovely really lovely so um it was a really gorgeous episode really lovely to hear from her. i'm glad yeah. she's working in greater manchester <laughs>
0: so yeah if, uh, and if you want to get in touch with us um you can do in all the ways you normally can we'll put the links in the episode description for you um and as we say in every episode pretty much we love getting feedback we love hearing from the listeners we really enjoy um finding out what you're liking and what you're not liking and we do try and use the feedback to form what our future episodes will be so do get in touch if you've got any ideas
1: yeah thank you all for getting in touch th- for those of you that have till next time on primary care knowledge beast. This podcast has been able to continue to date due to the support of GP Excellence, Wiganborough CCG, Greater Manchester Training Hub and the GP Fellowship Programme, as well as Greater Manchester Health and Social Care Partnership.
0: Just a friendly reminder that these podcasts are for healthcare professional education and shouldn't be used for medical advice by the general public.
1: They were recorded in Greater Manchester in 2022 guidelines can vary by location as well as over time so always check for up-to-date local and national guidelines before you make any treatment decisions. The content is based on our
0: interviewee's opinion and interpretation of current best practice. It's your responsibility to use your clinical judgment before applying or relying on information solely from this podcast. Check out the episode
1: description for full details and any links that we've mentioned in the episode.